right? Like we're always a part of what we're teaching, what we're practicing, what we're, you know, sharing with others to do. So it takes a little more time, you know, more effort, but it's really important, I feel, because we have such gifts within us. It's just that we don't even think to look within to receive them from ourselves because we have such difficulty with the idea of even receiving in the first place. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Today, we have a very real and raw, deep and beautiful conversation with you. And before we get started, I would love to introduce our new sponsor, goddesswell.co. Goddesswell creates the highest quality of women's products for your highest self, specifically formulated by women for women to complement our inherent self-healing power, specifically focusing on PMS, menopause, hormone and moon support, and urinary tract health. So what I love about this company is the intentionality within the medicine and the high, high quality of CBD that's within each capsule. So there's various lines. There's the Harmony line for harmony and mood. There's the Radiance line for PMS and menopause relief. There's the Serenity line for UTI relief. And each capsule has two times more CBD than in any other capsule on the market, plus high quality essential oils to target and support relieving all of these various women's hormonal and sexual health issues. So for me, every day I take the Harmony pill for mood and hormone aid and I say a little prayer and I connect with the medicine and I connect with the aliveness of the essential oils and I ask for help with what I'm going through right now in my woman's health journey. And I feel like I'm giving myself the care and the attention I need. And so what's so cool about Goddess Well and Marcella, the owner's connection with Global Sisterhood is she's a Global Sisterhood facilitator herself. And she has made it available for the Global Sisterhood community to buy one product and get one free using the code SISTERHOOD. That means we get to buy one for ourselves, and we get to buy one with the condition of giving it to a sister to spread the love, to spread the health, and to deepen our circle of women who are healing ourselves and transforming the world. So go to goddesswell.co, use the code SISTERHOOD, and buy one and get one free to give to a friend. All right, now let's get going with the show. 
Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. I'm very excited to have this very special guest here today, Ananta Ripa Ajmera. She's an award-winning author, spiritual teacher, Ayurvedic practitioner, and yoga instructor who believes that the greatest teachers are those who push you to own your true power. Having completed over 12 years of deep study with master lineage-based teachers from the Vedic spiritual tradition that gifted the world with yoga, Ananta writes about, teaches, and leads spiritual wellness seekers worldwide on journeys from darkness to light in a way that seamlessly blends ancient spirituality with modern psychology and healthy living. She is the co-founder and CEO of The Ancient Way an organization that supports you to embody ancient wisdom to unfold your true self. Ananta is a host of the True to Yourself podcast, an advisor of Ayurveda at The Well, a modern wellness club, where she works with a team of integrative medical practitioners. Her recent book, The Way of the Goddess, which was published by Penguin Random House, won a Firebird Book Award, and The Ayurveda Way, won a Forward Indies Gold Book Award and a Nautilus Silver Book Award. Ananta has taught at Stanford Medical School, NYU, and UNICEF. She presents at festivals like the Sedona Yoga Festival and the Mind-Body-Spirit Festival, which is the UK's largest wellness festival, and is regularly featured in publications like Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Yoga Journal, Mind-Body-Green, Forbes, and now the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor to have you here today. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you. So you've done many things, it seems, and you've been able to weave your interest and your passion for health and for yoga and Ayurveda into, you know, really like a a mission that you're on. It's not just a job from what it seems. It seems like it's a full and complete soul presence that you get to bring to your work. I'm curious as to how this work started for you. Yeah, I think this work really started when I was a college student at NYU, and I was a part of a social entrepreneurship scholarship program as an NYU undergraduate business student. At that time, I asked myself a question that how can I create pattern-breaking change in a sustainable way within my own life and then scale those changes into the work I feel called to do in the world. They had defined social entrepreneurship as creating that pattern-breaking, sustainable, and scalable change. So I had internalized it and wondered how I could really approach giving back and social entrepreneurship from the inside out. And that was really the seed for looking deep within to be able to overcome my own self-destructive patterns and recreate my life basically from the inside out. And as I began to experience the benefits of Ayurveda, which is a sister science of yoga and the spiritual philosophy of Vedanta, which is underlying yoga and Ayurveda, I felt like a whole new me emerged in that process. And just out of gratitude now, I feel called to fulfill the part of the mission of really scaling the changes I've experienced in my life in the wider world with people who are ready 
to embark upon such journeys of healing and transformation themselves. That touches my heart so deeply because I feel that if each one of us, you know, on this, that are listening to this podcast even, were to really touch the thing that most inspires them and then out of gratitude be able to serve in that way, it just brings such nectar to communities and to our families and to ourselves, you know, most importantly. And so I, I honor, I honor that work that you're doing because it's so important. Thank you so much. I feel really, really fortunate more now than ever before to have encountered this ancient wisdom. And I actually learned six months into my studies of Ayurveda that my own maternal ancestors were renowned Ayurveda healers themselves in India. I had to come to it through my own struggles and my own challenges, but it was always there waiting as part of the family tree and the roots of our ancestry. So it really did feel like a coming full circle and coming back home to myself in every which way. I'm sure your family is celebrating as they stand behind you doing this work. Thank you so much. I I do feel their presence. I do feel that the ancestors are always guiding and supporting my journey and that I've been really protected also on this journey from all kinds of situations that came up along the way as they do to test our spiritual growth and really solidify it. (laughs) So I would love for you to share about Ayurveda because maybe to some it's a word that they've heard through different conversations and for you to just like lay the groundwork of what Ayurveda is and how one can incorporate it into one's life. Sure. Yeah. Ayurveda is the world's oldest system of health and healing. It is the sister science of yoga, which teaches you how to really live in harmony with the cycles and rhythms of mother nature. In Ayurveda, we follow two particular rhythms. One is the rhythm of the day, which is called uh, Dinacharya in Sanskrit, and that translates to literally following the day. And then we have Ritucharya, which is to follow the Ritu or the rhythm of the seasons. So in our daily lifestyle, and as the seasons change, we are recommended different set of preventative health prescriptions, basically, that allow us to really optimize our health and well-being, make amazing decisions, feel rested and balanced, and generally live a happy, healthy, and beneficial life. Ayurveda defines health-giving actions, actually, as those that are beneficial, not only to ourselves, but to others as well. So there is this inherent sense of community and connection and oneness that this particular system deeply explores. It's really fascinating also that even in the Ayurveda texts, there is some written evidence of how the sages have instructed people with really chronic illnesses that don't get better with all the things that are recommended to actually engage in selfless service and to stop thinking about their own issues, but actually contribute to the well-being of others, and in that process to heal whatever issues they are having. 
So it's incredible that that's a health prescription according to a medical system that has given us so many gifts such as oil pulling and hair oiling, which are big things now in the media. And I get asked about them a lot. And Ayurveda has also given us uh, turmeric, right? Like the spice that people tried to patent as their own in other countries and all this crazy stuff that happens. And ashwagandha, right, is one of the Ayurvedic herbs also that people have kind of taken on as their own. A lot of times people don't know the roots of all of these things that become more mainstream and commercial, but all of these are having really deep roots and deep ancestry in the Ayurvedic tradition as part of what we're recommended to be able to protect our health and keep ourselves in alignment with nature throughout the day and throughout the year. You said so many beautiful things that I want to put pins in. I think the thing that spoke to me most that I want to branch off to in this moment is around the selfless service because this has been a message that I've been receiving, feeling like a bit overwhelmed recently about a lot of new things coming into my life. Mm-hmm. And the guidance, my internal guidance I've been receiving is you need more structure. You know, you need to get up earlier. You need to create more of like this discipline, which I want to talk to you about that too, because I know that you you talk about like healthy ways of understanding discipline. Yeah, and, and then also to, with this structure, right, with this discipline, then all of a sudden I have more space, but then with that space to actually do more things for other people. So it's kind of like what you just said. It's like, okay, create the structure for yourself. You're going to have more, but then you're also going to need to work to help these other people. So you're going to need to add more to your plate, more structure, but then that's ultimately how you're going to be better. And it's hard to wrap your mind around, right? Because it's, you think if you have more, yeah, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing. So if you want to expand on any of those things, I'd love to have this conversation. Sure. Yeah. I think discipline is sometimes a scary word for people because maybe growing up, they associated it with getting in trouble for things or getting scolded by people authority figures or parents or teachers or something like that. And it gets kind of a negative rap or a a bad reputation. But actually, what we feel and what I've experienced about it in the spiritual practices that I do myself and that I teach through my mission and through my work and calling is that discipline actually unlocks the key to freedom. Discipline actually gives us the nectar of life that we're seeking. It's so interesting because in the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the very famous yogic texts that goes into the philosophy of yoga, Lord Krishna has said that what is like nectar in the beginning becomes like poison in the end. And what is like poison in the beginning, such as discipline, (laughs) becomes like nectar in the end. So it really is about looking at long-term benefits over the short-term discomfort of making those changes that may feel a little limiting and a little restricting, knowing that we live in a world of duality and polarity, that when we 
limit, when we restrict, when we pull back, we're actually allowing for expansion. We're allowing for space. We're allowing for the growth that can come from the emptier space that gets freed up by lessening some of the things that we have and creating more order and more stability, structure, predictability. I think in these times, especially, which are so wildly unpredictable, full of unprecedented things after unprecedented things, it is now more important than ever to have some source of stability, security, routine, structure in life. And that's a gift that we can actually give ourselves by knowing about it and then actually putting it into practice. So in my new book, The Way of the Goddess, that is actually the first step of the whole spiritual journey of awakening your inner warrior and discovering your true self. You have to start first start the practice of having a practice. And that takes a certain amount of dedication, thoughtfulness, contemplation, and then effort to really plan for it, to envision it, to be able to see what the consequences of it will be, what it will take to actually do it. But then I find that once we have a solid plan, it makes life run a lot more smoothly than when we're just kind of haphazardly doing everything from the time we wake up to the time we sleep. So I have found it to be personally very, very liberating and very much giving a feeling of security and home and stability from within. So then adding on, how is that the acting of service able to give more energy to oneself? You know, I think in our, our culture, we feel for a lot of us, we already have so much and we're so busy. And now maybe with routine, we can understand that there's more space. But then let's talk about the service aspect and how that can also create more space. Yeah, well, first of all, it gives us perspective mm -hmm. to be able to come out of our own mind, which is maybe going in a circle, like a, a mouse in a, what, do you, what are those things called, right? Where they yeah, like, those little, yeah. Oh, the wheel. The wheel, yeah. So it's chasing <laughs> its tail, basically, right? It's going in a circuitous way. It's not really going anywhere. And our minds can be like that, where it's just going in a continuous circle of self-defeating thoughts, limiting beliefs, fears, anxieties, worries about the future, anxiety about the past, and we're never really here in the moment. And I think when we approach service, we are able to actually step outside of that wheel for a moment to consider someone else's experience and to be open to what that has to teach us and to offer us. And the perspective then gives us a shift to then return in a different way than we may have gone out. It's kind of like you go on a vacation for that reason, you know, to like have a change of place or you go to travel somewhere because it gives you a sense of perspective. You go on the airplane, it's like you're above the, you know, world and, and you get this idea of, different thoughts and ideas, but we can actually get that from engaging in service also to expand our horizons and give us a new way of looking at things and maybe even appreciating more of the things that we already have because 
maybe they're not things that other people have who were in service of. And so when we start to feel more of that gratitude for our current circumstances, that itself will shift everything quite profoundly. It is said in the Vedic spiritual tradition that gratitude is the parent of all other virtues. So when we really have that, and when we can approach our life with that spirit, it has a way of shining a light into everything. And that's why I think even now at modern academic institutions, they do a lot of research on the benefits of gratitude and the benefits of journaling and the benefits of of service also and compassion because it does open the heart and get us out of that spinning mind, which is so important. Yeah. When I think about our modern culture right now, one of the things that I I think of is the lack of values or virtues and not because we don't want, it's just because it's not embedded in the culture. And so turning to these ancient cultures, you know, that have these virtues embedded, I feel like is so important to help us remember these teachings. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And that's actually the reasoning behind starting an organization is to have an institution in the modern world, in the modern culture that is upholding these ancient values and is serving as a role model where people can learn to really approach leadership and service through setting a great example for other people. And that was my own personal intention with starting this was to really be able to lead with integrity and to be able to continue to deepen into the practices myself while giving to others. Because I think there is also that risk factor for empaths, especially of when we get into serving people, we can lose ourselves in the service of others to the point of neglecting ourselves. And that's something I have definitely experienced and taken a journey from darkness to light to go through. And I realize it's so important to understand that the highest form of service is actually leading by example and showing role modeling, because that is what upholds values. That is what transmits values much more than anything we can say or any words that we can type, you know, or even books that we can write. But it's really what is our lived experience? What is our personal testimonial to these things that gets transmitted to people non-verbally just through our presence and our example? And I feel that that is so, so needed because there are so many charlatans also out there, you know, speaking all the good words and, and seducing people with their expressions, but they're not really doing what they talk about. And that can be really damaging, but it's easy enough to point fingers at other people. What's a lot harder is to realize that when you even point one finger at others, there's always three pointing back at our own selves. And so rather than lament about all the bad things that go on in all sectors of life, why don't we just be that change that we're looking for, you know? And that was really the idea behind starting an organization to be able to create a structure and to be able to create a system that can withstand any individual so that it's a template for people to follow 
to be able to continue to carry on these values beyond our time. Beautiful. You know, you you talk about how you believe the greatest teachers are those that push you into your own true power. I'm curious about your journey with your teachers because it seems that I, I feel your teachers in you. You know, I feel that you were pushed into your power and that you hold these pillars of integrity and of justice and of these these beautiful virtues, you know, to to live in your you walk your walk. And I interview so many beautiful women too, but when I am anchored with someone who is is doing that, it feels like a deep resonance in my body. And so I'm curious about, yeah, your journey into to owning your power and potentially what some of your roadblocks were and how you learned to overcome. Yeah, wow. Well, I believe that all kinds of people can be our teachers. Those who give us teachings from scriptures, as well as those who give us lessons in heartache and betrayal and loss and lies, you know, and deception. And I've had teachers of all different kinds, you know, who've taught me through example. And I am very grateful to Swami Parthasarthi, who's a 95-year young Swami living in India, who has started the Vedanta Academy to train young people to be able to develop the intellect. And it's interesting because people assume intellect is the same as intelligence, but they're actually vastly different. The intellect is what can discern between choices and allow us to make better choices and to also develop more objectivity towards our emotions and towards our mind. So it's the reason why people can be really accomplished in one sector of life and really intelligent, but not able to manage their personal relationships or their, you know, home life or their partnerships and and things like that. So I feel that has been hugely incredible to get to go through the online e-learning program that he has to be able to really dive deep into the ancient Vedic scriptures verse by verse and to be able to develop that capacity to question because on the spiritual path, a lot of things are presented as fact and we are told to blindly accept things that we shouldn't question about life. And yet here we have a teacher who is specifically showing you how to think by questioning everything and not taking anything for granted. So that has been incredible to be able to learn from him I also feel very grateful to uh, like a friendship that I wrote about in chapter four of my book where I had been giving a lot to this person and then ended up getting betrayed. And even after that was still helping them and still supporting them at my own expense. And it was such a great teaching to me of learning to become a friend to my own self. And I feel that all of these kind of darker experiences and and teachings in life can be such incredible sources of awakening when we can feel our emotions fully while also remembering that we are more than our mind, more than our emotions, more than the experiences that we go through in life. And so I feel that the combination of 
just feeling and being open to whatever comes up and creating space for that, as well as continuously studying the ancient scriptures and the teachings that they give on how to understand life, how to look at life, how to approach situations has been really, really important. And so that's what I try to bring to people is something where there's no danger of spiritually bypassing. And then we also don't want to just get into the emotional waters where we can drown if we don't realize that we are more than our emotions, right? Because that identity, that knowledge of the self with a capital S is ultimately what gives us the greatest freedom in life to realize that we are not just this body that can go through trauma, that can go through heartache, that can go through betrayal, but we are actually the soul, the self that is beyond all of this. And that I think is the greatest solace, but it takes some time to really allow such concepts to sink in to our system at a deeper and deeper level. So we have to keep listening to it. So I do have that habit of continuously listening and studying, even though I've done it before. And I I just keep on going through it again and again. And that repetition is really, really important. So that was there. And then I had a great teacher in the form of an ex-boyfriend who had taught me about some unresolved trauma I had from childhood around sexual abuse and how important it was to actually be able to heal from that before even having the ability to make a good choice of a partner, because that's a big choice that we're confronted with. And we have to have the ability to make good choices there for ourselves. And, you know, before meeting him, I may have had different ideas about myself that I was just not drawn to um, these kinds of relationships, because I never had been before, you know, but then meeting him was like, wow, but it was a karmic situation. And it's, it's interesting, because in the Vedic astrology, it was a meant to be marriage. But because I was so deeply studying the self and the spirituality, I was able to tap into the freedom of choice to go beyond the karmic script, and actually decide that rather than go down this deep ocean of suffering with this person, I'll just take a little bit of the ocean water, and then I will convert it into spiritual power. And after just a couple months of this relationship, I I was like, you know, I really want to practice what is called brahmacharya, which is part of the yogic philosophy of really gaining control and mastery over the mind and senses. And I had done it before, but more theoretically. And I think when he had come into my life, I realized, oh, it's easy to not do this. But actually, I felt so much better when I was doing this. And so now I'll really own it that, you know, I am, I'm going to end this relationship to really know who I am, and to really be a sovereign master of my own mind, my own emotions, my own experiences, and truly know that self with a capital S. And so he was a great teacher of temptation and how to respond to that. And also, what was the lesson in that, right? Because I'm glad I had that experience 
of meeting him and connecting for however short of a time it was in person. Uh, because it showed me those unfinished layers of my own healing that I may not have been so acutely aware of otherwise. And it also taught me how to be a partner to myself and how to really become whatever it was he represented that I was so attracted to. Because if I could fulfill those incomplete areas within myself, then I could approach the relationship with him or with anyone from a space of wholeness rather than emptiness or seeking something that I don't already have, which is often how we unconsciously go and, you know, approach people and get attracted to people, right? Because they represent some unfinished part of ourselves that we don't feel we have. And rather than fixate on trying to get that or trying to fulfill something that ultimately can only be fulfilled by knowing our true self, then only can we really have relationships that are truly going to be nourishing. So I feel like that was also an important teacher and an important experience. And actually, every chapter of my book gives you these kind of darkness to light stories. So I I shouldn't give away all of them. But I do also (laughs) share about my parents and the deep inner work I did to transform those core relationships Because there's patterns that, you know, are ancestral, that are ancestral trauma scripts that get passed on from one generation to another. And it was important to transform those by the light of knowledge and even the spiritual rituals and practices and to be able to then uh, go to the deepest levels, you know, or layers of healing so that I wasn't just replaying out these scripts that Nobody even wanted to play, but it's just that we didn't know that we didn't have to, you know, and that's where the knowledge that, oh, we are more than our conditioning. We are more than these scripts really liberates us. And this idea of listening is so powerful because when we listen, it's the subtlest of the senses, right? So the sight, the smell, the taste, the touch, like all the five senses are associated with different elements, according to Ayurveda the sense of smell is connected to the earth element. It's very gross. The sense of taste is connected to the water element. The sense of sight is connected to the fire element. The sense of touch is related to the air element. And the sense of sound, of hearing, is connected to the space element. And it's the subtlest. So when we are constantly listening to ancient wisdom teachings and the knowledge of the self with a capital S, then what happens over time and with consistency in doing that is it literally breaks down those internal conditionings and really erases those patterns and gives us that freedom and opportunity to be able to author our own life's script. And I've definitely experienced that, but it takes time and practice and dedication and an unglamorous commitment to really messy inner work. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not, not always the tidiest of things. Yeah, (laughs) but always the most rewarding. It's the poison that becomes the nectar. It's always worth it. As you were sharing about how when you're listening to the spiritual teachings, it can break down and kind of transform the self. I had this visual of all of us kind of 
being like these prefab houses that you now see sprouting up all over where they like do hundreds of the same style of house. We all kind of have this internal conditioning of our society, of our culture, of all the different ways of um, honoring ourselves and whatnot. And in order to do spiritual work, it's like a demolition in some ways, right? Like you have to remodel the bathroom that's, you know, related to your parents or whatever. And, uh, you know, the basement that has, you know, your sexual stuff going on and whatever it is. But I just thought that was interesting because it really does require a lot of uh, disarray at times, right? You kind of have to pull things apart and take them down and there could be like a lot of dust and things left over. But then you get the chance to be the creator and to be like, this is how I want to treat myself. This is how I want to organize my day. This is how I want to stoke my own fire, you know, that passion that I have in my life. And so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so true because our home is home, you know, it's, it's really that internal space and that's that sound, that subtle sound and the ability through sound to then manifest speech and the words that we speak also are forming that home that we live in all the time because even wherever we are the heart ultimately is our home right so it's learning to be at home with ourselves in a way that is going to be beneficial truly to ourselves and to others as well so yeah yeah I think this idea of home is a really powerful one I want to talk about empaths again, because many of the women that are listening to this podcast are empaths. And often we ha- they can struggle with boundaries. You spoke a lot about understanding the intellect, which helps you figure out decisions. And so I figure that's a part of it. But can you expand on what could be helpful as a way for helping understand one's own boundaries and how to, yeah, really understand the self and the needs? Definitely. That's a huge thing for empaths. And that's actually the subject of chapter six of my book. There's a goddess named Goddess Katyayani, who is said to live in our third eye chakra in between the eyes. And she is depicted as holding a sword, which is there to clear out any fears. And she's holding her hand in a blessing. And she's also battling a demon. (laughs) And this was an important chapter for all empaths to really look at ourselves and look at how we're giving to others in a way that is actually going to support them in becoming more independent themselves rather than depleting ourselves. So I think just that is an interesting way of looking at things that we don't have to be doing everything for everyone, but how can we give in such a way that we free the other and we stay free ourselves from those patterns of enmeshment or codependency? And I think it's really fitting that it's the sixth chakra, which is the intuition center, because it's really learning to trust yourself and trust your own inner knowing, because empaths really have that. But the problem is we get mixed up between our feelings and emotions and another person's feelings and emotions or energies. And so we have to, I feel, be able to spend enough time by ourselves to really be able to clear out what is not our own consciously and to learn to recognize the same 
divinity that we may be seeing in others within our own self and in our own eyes. It's one of the practices I share that you can actually look at your own self in the mirror and see your own eyes and see that soul reflected in them because that part of you is divine. And usually we can see it in others, like children and animals and elderly and teachers and and people like that, but we don't see it in ourselves. So it's a challenging practice, but I feel it's a really powerful one and a really important one. And I think also creating safe sanctuary-like spaces within our homes is very helpful, where we can put those signs and symbols that we feel connected with and that remind us of home within our heart and divinity and truth and nature and all that connectedness with all that exists is a really great way to connect with that inner knowing and that intuition because our intuition will always guide us in the correct way it's just that we often disregard it or are unable to even hear it at a certain point because we may have suppressed it to please other people at our own expense. So it's really learning to have a relationship with our own self and to be able to honor that inner voice, the inner guru that comes from going deep within on a regular basis to be able to access it and to be able to receive the gifts that it has to offer to us. A lot of times empaths are really gifted in healing other people. And if they were to simply give the intention that may I receive the same healing gifts I give out so naturally to others, it would be a game changer. That's actually what I did. I said, let me now receive whatever it is I naturally give to other people. And just, it may not even feel natural or right or normal at all at first, which it didn't. But just by setting that intention and giving myself the challenge, I feel that I have been able to benefit a lot from my own offerings and my own books and my own processes and the practices that I write about. And now that I'm onto that, like how the intuition is connected with gifts that unfold usually for other people through things like books, I just know that whenever we're writing, teaching, or sharing something, there's always also a part of ourself, our lower self that's here on this earth, that's in the world, that also needs to keep relearning that. And if we know that, then we can actually fill that gap by just having that humility to go back through it and to relearn it and to master it again and to learn it again and then to share it again and just continue that whole cycle so that we never get outside of what we're doing, right? Like we're always a part of what we're teaching, what we're practicing, what we're, you know, sharing with others to do. So it takes a little more time, you know, more effort, but it's really important, I feel, because we have such gifts within us. It's just that we don't even think to look within to receive them from ourselves because we have such difficulty with the idea of even receiving in the first place. So there's a lot of work to be done, but but I really had an empath in my heart as I wrote the whole book. So I think the whole book, in a sense, is about this topic of creating boundaries in different kinds of ways with ourselves and then 
uh, being able to maintain them, but doing it in such a way that's fragrant, that's not harsh, that's not like putting up thorns, but is actually like uh, coming from a beautiful heart, right? Like full of forgiveness and compassion. Because sometimes when we're empaths, we give so much that we get burnt out and there's resentment that comes up as a result of it that then kind of like colors what we do and the gifts that we give in a not so nice way that we don't even feel good about. And so when we can learn to resolve and digest our emotions, for example, through the fire of transformation, then by doing that, we're able to reach a point internally where we recognize that we need to limit our time with people who drain our energy, but not from a place of like, hey, you drain my energy, I'm going to stop spending time with you from a place of like, I'm so sorry, I wish I could spend time with you right now, but you know, I'm having to do this in my life. And it's important that I honor this and I send you a lot of love, you know, something like that, where it feels good to say, and it feels good to the other to receive. So even at the level of speech, there's guidance in the book around what Lord Krishna had said from the Bhagavad Gita around how the speech should be truthful, pleasant, and beneficial. And it takes a lot of screening through those gateways to really assess, okay, is this going to be pleasant? Is it truthful? Or am I just, you know, saying something to please another person? And then is it beneficial? Does it benefit me to say it? And does it benefit the other person to hear it? And inherent in that is, will the other person be ready to hear this and to receive this? And if they're not, then not offering those words. Every time you speak, I'm like, I love this thing that she's saying. And I so resonate with this part. And this is expanding me in this way. And so I just want to honor the channel that you are, the beauty that you've cultivated. Oh, Yeah, I, I imagine that the, the people who are listening to this are feeling that, that same thing. And so thank you. Thank you so much for being an open, receptive channel to receive it because it does take that readiness. Yeah. I want to talk about the part you were sharing around in teaching, that there's this lower part of yourself that is also receiving and with that humility, because I find that so much. I find that so much because sometimes a friend will come to me with something and then all of a sudden this like beautiful thing will come out of me to share with my friend, but it's also something that I'm learning. And so I really appreciate you saying that because I think it just, it makes my experience like validated in a way that it's not wrong that I feel both. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good. I'm so glad. We are such multidimensional beings, you know? Yes, exactly. And everything that we say in a sense is a projection. So when we are quiet, we can go into it and say, hmm, what was there in what I said that's also there for me, you know, and just fill that void. Because when we're projecting, we could be projecting good things, but they're there to also help us. If we were to listen to ourselves, we would have also gotten guidance for what we need to do. So we don't want to miss that, you know, like whatever we're giving to others. Yeah, it's also there for us. And we can also dive into that and benefit from that. And if it's coming to us, there's also a reason for that. It doesn't happen randomly. Like we are really supported in that way. If you think about it on this spiritual journey and in life that 
we get exactly what we need at every moment. It's just a matter of learning to surrender and to trust in that, which can be really hard for us humans to do. But when we can do it, there's nothing quite like it. I have so much gratitude for this podcast because I feel that it's just that, like the conversation I need to have on that day happens. And I'm like, wow, there's really just such a magic in the universe, you know, if you're open to receiving. Yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. And here you're receiving not just for you, but sharing it with your whole community. So that's even more incredible. And I love the work that you're all doing as well with the Global Sisterhood and all the circles and and sharing and community. It's really, really beautiful to see that. Yeah, it's been such a magical journey to be on, you know. I'm sure. I've had so many so many visions of uh, you know, for me it started from this like rejection of my feminine mm. that I went on a whole journey to understand and then to to see, to be able to see that I had rejected that part. And then through the reclaiming of my own feminine, I then was also asked to help other people do the same, you know. And it's been such an amazing journey because now I'm also reclaiming, I've reclaimed the feminine and that feels really good. But then it was almost too much, too much water, too much flow. And now I'm reclaiming the healthy masculine, which we talked about, the discipline, the order, the structure, which feels so good. Like if I'm on some retreat of some kind where there's a structure of the day, I'm like, I feel so free inside. <laughs> I want you to share about that. Is it brahmacharya with the day structure? Dinacharya is the day, the daily routine. So can you share a little bit about that so people can get an idea of what that might look like? Sure. Yeah. Basically, we're trying to live in alignment with the rhythms of nature. And I think the circadian rhythms are also really important as part of that. So learning to sleep by ideally 10 p.m. and to wake up ideally by 6 a.m. really helps us to get better quality of sleep and to be more rested when we wake up in the daytime. There is also a whole digestion process which is happening between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. where we're digesting and processing all of the day's inputs at a physical, emotional, and psychological level. So it's important that we are in bed asleep ideally at that time so that the body can restore itself and regenerate itself for the next day. Then we try to really follow the sun in this process. So by waking up by 6 a.m., ideally even earlier than that, we can also witness the changing of the sky from darkness to light. And that really tells the psyche that just as the darkness changes to light so too can we journey internally from any emotional turmoil that we're experiencing to the light of the self and the soul that lives deep within and then we try to also sync our meals to the timing when the sun is the strongest in the day which is around lunchtime so we're recommended in the daily routine of Ayurveda to make lunch your biggest meal, ideally around 12 o'clock. And that's when your internal sun in the form of your digestive fire, because in Ayurveda, 
digestion is poetically envisioned to be like a fire is going to be the strongest and sharpest and most able to process the food that you eat. So that's an important part of it. And then we give ourselves some time to kind of relax in between dinner around six to seven and then nighttime. So we transition from being really engrossed in the happenings of the day to then taking a step back and being able to unplug and go and be able to rest and to be able to surrender from the thoughts of the day. Because if we're too much on the computer or having stimulating conversations or watching TV or movies or something late at night, then it has a way of kind of going to sleep with us and keeping us awake at night. So we try to kind of slow things down in the evening. But in the morning, we try to move more because if we don't wake up by 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., then there is this energy of inertia, like the earth and water elements, which are heavier elements. And Ayurveda are more active at those times of the morning. So that's a time where you want to ideally exercise. That's when you want to get moving, get going, uh, take a shower, like be more uh, in your body exercising rather than sleeping or resting. So yeah, there's just all different times that are perfect for all different activities. And I think that's what the knowledge of the daily routine gives you is when to plan what activity for what time so that you're really living in harmony with nature that way. And then what about daily practices like meditation or breath work or yeah, like tuning in with yourself? Those are ideally done first thing in the morning as the, the night sky is shifting to the light. And even watching the sunrise is an amazing practice for the spiritual part of oneself. And if you're looking for inspiration, then waking up in this spiritually charged time of the morning, which is between 4 to 6 a.m., is really considered auspicious for doing any kind of spiritual practices that involve connecting to yourself and really setting the tone for your day in an empowered way, in a way that is going to tap your consciousness into the deepest memory, which is the memory of who you really are. So that's really, really a special time to be able to do that or just whenever you wake up, you know, but then starting to wake up earlier and earlier really makes a difference and helps as well. Did you have any special routines or practices when you were in the process of writing your book? No, not and not anything different than what I normally would have done. But I was fortunate that it was the pandemic during mm. the time when I was writing the book. So it was easier to be in that quarantine and be kind of like internal and not have to be engaging so much with the outer world. So I had really made an intention that I would like to do some kind of a sabbatical and just be more inward, you know, and not have to even go places. And I didn't know where I would go to do that. But then the universe just made it so everyone in the world had to do that. And I was like, okay, so this is my sabbatical. Let me take it and to uh, really, you know, write and, and use this time to its fullest. And I got to really go deeper into my practices during that time without the need to venture outside for anything. And I just loved it. It was a magical time to be able to write and create and really channel all this emotion into 
deeper spiritual understanding and spiritual power. And, and that's the power of writing, right? That's the power of art. That's the power of creation. And that's the power that you get when you channel some of this like emotional and sexual energy into creativity and into expression. And when you don't have distractions also, right? Because brahmacharya is that practice of being able to be in a distraction-free zone, right? So not get distracted by food, by smell, by taste, by touch, by, you know, all of the senses. And, you know, the sexual act, of course, is like the height of all of that. So just by pulling everything in and channeling it in the direction that you feel called to create something in can be really, really powerful. So it was a great period of brahmacharya for me to be able to write the book and also start my organization to be able to create programs. And I was very, very productive. I created a lot of recipes also, but not from a space of craving after food, but just being able to enjoy making Ayurveda more accessible to people by having more variety of foods that are healthier versions of pizzas and pastas and things that people enjoy eating anyways and uh, doing food photography and things I had never really had done before but I had so much fun actually during that period so I really really enjoyed (laughs) that process and it was hard too like it was definitely writing this book was definitely the most challenging thing I've ever done because it took me deep into uh, a lot of the traumas that I have gone through and how I resolved them and just reflecting so much on them to really make my journey and story and sharing into a medicinal story that is full of medicine and hope and and nectar you know like converting the poison of certain experiences into the nectar of wisdom that will benefit not only myself but other people as well but I really benefited a lot from from it and I'm so grateful that I've had that time from the universe and also that I used it without resisting it you know and I I knew how to do that from the time I had spent studying so and so your book it's for women or it's for anyone I would say it's for empaths that was really the audience and I do find that there are a lot of empathic men who also resonate a lot with it so yeah, even though it's called the way of the goddess, it's definitely for anyone who identifies as an empath, I would say, and a, a true spiritual seeker. And then what will the book instill you with? The book takes you on a hero's journey to be able to reclaim nine powers that dwell in your nine chakras. And those are in order, the power of stability in your root chakra, the power of creativity in your sacral chakra, the power of transformation in your solar plexus, the power of love in your heart, the power of voice in your throat chakra, the power of intuition in your third eye chakra, the power of truth in the crown chakra, the power of rejuvenation in the higher heart chakra, and the power of intention to be able to lead with integrity in the astral chakra. Yeah, I imagine that you had to go through all the things, <laughs> all the ways. It was really difficult, but it was powerful. And I definitely felt more alive. It was like a rebirthing experience mm. to be able to write this and to now be able to share it with people. And I've been going slowly with it. I really took my time. 
I asked for more time than they even initially offered. They were going to release it in the spring season because of the pandemic and it being the right time for people to receive this type of a book of empowerment and spiritual upliftment. But I'm like, okay, well, I need more time to digest everything and to, you know, metabolize it into this book. And so I opted for two seasons later to be able to go deeper into it. And I'm glad I did it that way. Wow. I I mean, even in the way that you, you asked for more time, I feel like it's in alignment with your values and just needing to digest and to process. It's, it's beautiful. I'm excited to get your book. I'm definitely going to go get it. Oh, thank you. I feel like it comes at the perfect time. It's also available in audiobook. So after I gave birth to the physical copy of the book, I then got to really speak it into existence over four days of sound booth speaking. And it was an incredible experience to be able to do that. So if people prefer to listen, because it's easier to listen while you're driving and things like that, it's also available that way. And I have narrated it. (laughs) Awesome. And for you, I'm curious about all the work that you've done and everything that you've learned. Like, what does the time of the feminine mean to you? The time of the feminine means a time to give birth to the most authentic version of ourselves. Because to me, the feminine, when we are talking in a spiritual sense about the divine feminine, not the biological feminine, is the power that we all have, regardless of our body type or gender, to be able to give birth to that true self and to that most authentic, liberated expression of who we really are as a soul. And that time, I feel, is now. We need it more than ever before because the balance of masculine and feminine has really gone a lot towards the masculine and we need that balance of the feminine in our universe and we need that ability for people to be really truthful and to awaken their inner warrior you know and in doing so because it's not easy just like giving birth at a physical level is probably the hardest thing a woman or female identified being would ever do right and so even giving birth to this most authentic version of ourselves, the true self, is also very difficult at a spiritual and psychological level. It's the reason why we're also born, is to go on this journey, according to the ancient wisdom, to realize who we really are and therefore stop the whole cycle of going in the circle of suffering and the cycle of of suffering and the ocean of delusions and all of this that we keep on taking birth to be able to ultimately evolve towards. So I feel that the divine feminine is that power to really give birth and to go through that journey of moving from identification with the body, with the mind, with the emotions, with our conditioning, to really being free from all of that and really approaching life with a spirit of gratitude and a heart full of compassion and also the strength to set healthy limits that allow for the nectar of life to come forth in you and be spread to others too. So for our final question, even though I could ask you questions all day, (laughs) (laughs) if you were to channel a message from the divine mother herself, what would she have you say? 
I would say it would be the epithet that opens my book. It's a Sanskrit mantra, and it goes like this. Om Sarva Mangala Mangalye Shive Sarvartha Sadike Sharanye Triambake Gauri Narayani Namostute It means I bow to the Divine Mother who represents total auspiciousness and who fulfills the desire for liberation. Realization arises with her blessing. She is the world itself. Only through the experiences of life can the soul be perfected. Honor this gift, your life. Bow to Mother Nature. And so it is. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the beautiful work that you are doing. So can you share with our community about how they can find you? We'll link everything in the show notes. They can find the links and whatnot, but maybe talk a little bit about your community as well. Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at ananta.1 and that's A-N-A-N-T-A dot O-N-E all spelled out. And then online at theancientway.co, not .com, but .co. And we have information there about all of our programs, including uh, Ayurveda Wellness Ambassador Program, where you can learn the ins and outs of the daily and seasonal lifestyle and self-care practices for all of the senses. We have also a Spiritual Warrior Certification Program, which helps you to really give birth to this most authentic version of yourself and to awaken your inner guru and become the hero of your own spiritual journey. It takes you through the nine steps of my book, The Way of the Goddess. And we also have coming in March, the Circle of Life Community Program, which will give a lot of resources and support and practice circles to really practice what it means to embody these different values of stability, creativity, transformation, love, etc. in a community of seekers who are looking to do the same with a community buddy system. We'll have a lot of amazing recipes in there, embodiment tutorials, and ways to also learn about Ayurveda and, and receive a lot of support and resources for practicing spirituality. Gorgeous. Well, thank you so much, Ananta, for being here. And I hope we get to talk more at some other point. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and for all the people that you're touching. Oh, thank you so much. And likewise, I would love to see how we could bring our circles together and collaborate and and be able to send all this amazing love and sisterhood out into the world. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Time of the Feminine. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. 
And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way. Thank you.